This premium podcast episode is sponsored by Meeple City Games, bringing Vector Wars to Kickstarter in the month of October. And now, on with the show. Episode of We're Not Wizards. My name's Richard. I'll be your host for October. It's kind of scary time. Is it scary time? We don't know. It's like the entire month has been taken over by Halloween, and some people like that very, very much, and some people don't like it at all. Um, just like some people don't like maths, and some people like basic maths, and then some people go into this kind of more exciting math, and some people get quite angry at maths, and you know they're talking about algebra and equations, and then even vectors, and some people get so angry about vectors they decide to have a war about them. So joining me today to talk about such a war from Meeple City Games, they're talked here to talk about vector wars. I have got Eli, my man. So hello, Eli. How are you? Hey, everybody. I'm good, thanks. I- I'm loving the intro, man. I could have sat through that all over again. <laughs> I'm not going to do it all over again. <laughs> no, fair um, enough. <laughs> no, no, no. It's all good. Um, thank you for joining us. Um, it's we are here to talk about. Well, I'm here to talk about your bad self, but obviously we're here to talk a little bit about Vector Wars as well. Um, we've got to say hello to everybody who's out there. So hello everybody who's out here. The reason that we do this is quite simply because there's not enough podcasts out there about tabletop. Yeah, it's a, it's a bit of a it's a bit of a sad situation. I think we need to be yes. like pushing pushing the boat a bit more. Um, it's just, and, and just us UK not. and us UK are leading the way. That's that's what's important. It's just you know that's what we need to be doing. We're forging ahead, kind of getting ourselves out there and making sure the entire land is covered in tabletop podcast which is which is completely my right the second reason that we do this is because um it's time to talk a bit a little bit about kickstarter again which is always fun and me and eli have spoken and he says i want to come on and i said okay except we didn't do it in that voice it was more polite because it was over facebook so you've got to kind of mind your manners when you're talking to somebody that you haven't spoken to before but give it about 10 minutes and we'll be swearing back and forward like nobody's business you can guarantee it um sure in terms why don't you start things off let's you know before we talk about the pressed and printed trees stuff things are we gonna have an ecological debate are we gonna have an ecological debate about green greenhouse gases because i'm on the wrong show <laughs> no 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 well, oh god thank god <laughs> <laughs> well no you're about to you know potentially get thousands of pieces manufactured in china yeah and then shipped over half plastic and half half forests that i've deforested yeah, yeah, exactly, on the planet yeah, exactly totally so, my know, fault yeah you're kind of walking it's like it's almost like a, some kind of green trap yeah it's like that oh no what have i done yeah i'm on kind of you know are you aware of the carbon footprint that your game's about to produce when it gets funded? Probably not. Um, <laughs> when you were grown up, yeah, did you did you have a game day with the family? I mean, was um, it something that you all sat around the table and you 
scrabbled some cardboard together and ended up fighting and so, shooting, and then there was kind of scowling over the turkey and stuff like that. So at the cost of, like, stopping all the people who hate Jews uh, from buying my board games, I'm Jewish. And um, one of the things is, is that on a Saturday... Um, um, we don't we don't really do anything other than chill out with the family. It's like a it's the day of rest and it's a family day. Yes. And and board games was the thing to do. So yes, every week on a Saturday we had a family board game day. Um, and uh, it's only now I look back at why my parents chose the games that they did, and um, and and I'm very disappointed in them, frankly. But uh, you had all the usual hereditary shenanigans you know sc- yeah. scrabble risk monopoly cluedo that kind of uh-huh. junk no, it's not junk it's, it's not junk he's <clears throat> got memories i bet you can remember and everybody remembers you know the first time that you managed to land on park lane and claim both those properties people remember getting all the utilities people remember finally beating that sibling into submission and watching them cry as he landed on old Kent Road where you had all 15 hotels and you just <laughs> robbed them for all their money. You know. Uh, oh, so I, d- I detest that. Lot. I detest that game so much. I'm so I sorry. I don't know why. It's a, sta- it's a stable... Look, if it was so bad, they wouldn't keep making it. You know what it is? Is I think that one of the things I don't like about it is it's indicative of the patience of the population to learn rules for a game. Because what are the rules of that game? The rules of that game are roll a dice, roll a move, and trade some, buy some stuff. And and to be honest with you, um, I think my issue is with Monopoly, is that the mechanisms inside that game weren't particularly um, well thought out. I mean, they may they may have been ingenious for the time, right? It's all relative to the time that you're you're in, right? So, frankly, roll and move was probably like a big deal. Um, and having the opportunity to buy something in a game was uh, probably a big deal as well. Although I remember a game called Careers that we used to play that was probably as old yeah. as Monopoly. Um, yeah. I don't know if you know that game, but um, you used to. I don't. You used to have to collect hearts and stars and and money, and you choose by going through different careers in life. You could become a, an astronaut or a, a Hollywood star or whatever, and you would get different resources. They weren't you know, they weren't resources because you couldn't spend them, but victory conditions, if you like, um, that you could achieve. Uh, they weren't victory points. Even it was like it's a weird, mm. it was a weird situation. You'd you'd get certain stuff like similar to Scythe with the stars in Scythe. It always reminds me of careers. Um, and when you achieved a certain number of stars, it was an end game condition. So it was it was good, better than Monopoly. Better than better than Monopoly. Did you stay in the kind of the cardboard stuff, or did you kind of drift? Did you kind of drift away? Did you, I mean, did you then go to like college, university, kind of stuff like that? Or did you go yeah, and get a job? What was no, your kind of no, there was a natural, natural progression to computer games, obviously. I mean, I was like, mm. I, I grew up with the Amiga 500 and I had an Atari 4-bit and 8-bit. And like I went through wow. the generation of um, of going through computer, computer games, Commodore 64. Gosh, it was like, it was incredible, to be honest, like... When the NES came out and the SNES came out and the Mega Drive came out, those things were were mind blowing. Um, and and yeah, they did pull me away from board games for quite a while because it was such a new experience and they, they it took things to a different level. Um, I was like a South East England champion of GoldenEye, uh, which was on the N sixty four, the Nintendo sixty four. Really? Yeah. Did you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I played. Wow. I played. Uh, my dad came to watch me uh, in Central London. 
in mm. live. I don't know if you remember, there used to be something, uh, a thing called Live, Live 95. It was like named after the year Live 96, Live 97. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so then I was in a tournament for two games there. One was Virtual Fighter and the other one was um, uh, Goldeneye. And um, so, so I did. I have mean, a, in terms a, a of, so was it like kind of the death matches you were talking about? Kind of like you were going in with four other players, and then it was whoever was. Yeah, that's right. Win. So what would happen is, is that we were in a tournament, so you'd get people that had won local tournaments in the area turn up on the day, and and um, we were we were just competing in the standard standard tournament. Would be it's a four, you know, you had four people on the screen at the same time. And um, you were one of them, and the other three were sitting right next to you. It was a bit, a bit of a different experience to playing online, and um, yeah, you could you could see where people were by looking at their screen. It was it's different. You can't do that anymore. What was the yeah? What was the was there a controversy over the odd? I mean, what was your view in the old odd job? Yeah, yeah character yeah. kind of. Well, it was banned. It was banned from tournament. You can play odd job. And he was he was short, and he had he had there was yeah. some gl- there was some odd job glitches as well. It wasn't just the fact he was short. Um, so they banned him from tournament play. You couldn't play our job. Uh, um, but that was strange because I, yeah, I remember people kind of going, "Oh, go, no, I don't play object because you're cheating." And it's like, how, how can you be cheating? It's like, well, because he's shorter, and that was the only thing I knew. I didn't know about the kind of the glitches that kind of went on. But there, but there, there were. But the biggest issue was obviously the auto aim. There was a slight auto aim in the game, so the the, the crosshead would just move gently towards the the person you were trying to aim at, um, mm-hmm. and because he was shorter, it would take a little bit longer. To get there, so they'd oh, always have right. an advantage. Okay. Always have an advantage on you. Um, so yeah, um, everyone was approximately the same size, as a, other than Oddjob and Jaws. Um, I think Jaws was like yeah. really tall in the game. Um, yeah, yeah, but you got to remember that when you played those games, you would be watching your screen and other people's screens to work out what they're doing. Right, and you can't do that on the internet, right? You're just looking at your own screen. You'd never know where someone else exactly. is. Exactly. It was a completely different kind of. Um, deathmatch game uh, completely i mean in fact when you there was um, a, a follow-up to uh, um uh golden michael perfect dark and one of the yes i remember perfect dark as well i yeah. remember the raw ro- i remember the ram pack or was it the rom pack that they had that you plugged into the front that's right ROM the pack, n64 yeah, that's, yeah, yeah increased yeah, the memory yeah. of the n64 so you could play the game um yeah. and um one of the guns you had was called a farsight from what i remember and you could mm. you could look through walls to find people and shoot them through the wall it's super broken but basically if you knew where people were then you it was much easier to do that if you were playing it online it would be a completely different experience um but anyway that's that's my that's part of my history it was at the same time while i was playing magic so i i had two loves in those days which was computer games and magic the gathering mm-hmm. i was i was um i was playing in uh, elephant and castle where the uh, major qualification for uk champs would be um, um, yeah, it was quite a big deal. And then I entered, I had one entry that I made that was at the Barbican Center, um, where it was like the Pro Tour, uh, qualified. How, in terms of the, just the Nintendo 6, going back to that quickly, yeah, sure. how far did you get in the tournament? Did you get through to the finals then or did you get knocked out? Yeah, so I got through to quite a long way, uh, into, into the tournament and, um, it's a funny story, actually, that there was this guy that, because basically after you lost, you didn't just lose. You'd go into like a loser's bracket. Yeah. Um, and the guy who came through on loser's bracket, who I beat to put into loser's bracket, actually um, knocked me out. <laughs> out of. What? Yeah. Out of the winner's bracket, later on in the in the game. 
I'd already been oh, knocked right. out of winners, and then I yeah. got knocked out. I got knocked out from losers by by this guy. So, and I was gloating and being a complete dickhead. Basically, I was fifteen years yeah. old. So, all right, okay, that's fair enough. Yeah, I mean, like I was completely gloating, and uh, he punished me for it. First lesson of the life, really. <laughs> what do you think about these guys when you see like the Fortnite stuff and their guys are like going home with like three million dollars prize money? You're sitting there going, "Damn, I was." Do you, do you know what I want? I was Twenty I want years a, too early. I want a jacket and a pair of glasses. <laughs> <laughs> I think I see now this this guy's like 16 years old with three million dollars in the kind of like prize money I'm just going going, damn I'm in the wrong job yeah and I was you know it's a different time yeah there was none of that back then you know I I remember when MFL Major League Gaming sorry MLG came out and I used to love Smash Brothers I don't know if you know Smash Brothers at all oh yeah of course yeah 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 yeah. Um, and um, I still follow Smash Brothers like I've been following it ever since but um I used to watch um, uh, what, what they used to call the King of Smash play, um, and um, there was there was qu- there was quite a few amazing Smash guys back in those days. One of one's names Ozen, I think. Anyway, I used to watch them quite a lot um, as soon as the internet became a thing, really. Um, and then um, afterwards, I just because you, you couldn't see the games, you'd you'd get little you know tiny snippets of the games, but mostly you'd read about yeah. them. Um, and then later on, it just it just exploded, and I was like, f- I was watching the financial like prizes rise and rise and rise when Major League Gaming came out. They started to win actual like real money, thousands of dollars. I was like, oh god damn it! I've, and I'd missed my time. My time had already gone. You're not tempted to ever kind of jump into evil or anything like that. You know, you said you mentioned Virtual Fighter, were you not? Was Street oh, Fighter kind of not your bag, or I, I was? Uh, no. By the time that all happened, Street Fighter Two was my bag. Like I played a lot of ST, you know, Street Street Fighter Two Turbo was was a was a big deal for me on the SNES. Mm-hmm. But um, to be honest with you, again, like uh, like I got I got old and I got married and I had kids and life moved on. I had a degree. I got a degree in theoretical physics. So, like it, things moved on. I'd I'd lost interest. Um, I'd, I've always played computer games. I've never stopped. Um, even now, I I play Overwatch and like I, I play um, all sorts of uh, um, Ring of Elysium and I play lots of computer games. And I'm 37, <laughs> so like I've never really grown up out of it. To be honest. Uh, I can't even, you know, I can't even begin to kind of drag you on that because last night I was still going through Scholar of the First Sin, Dark Souls 2. I was just doing like my fifth rerun of that game. Kind I, of I thing. like Dark so, Souls, yeah. yeah. It's, yeah, I've been it's playing, part. It's part. Uh, well, I'm the generation. I'm the computer generation. You know, I'm the. I'm the. You know, I mean, it's, it belongs to it belongs to our my generation. We grew up in the 80s. Um, you know, first time you started to see computer generated stuff on the screen. I, I I remember watching Independence Day and like it blowing my mind when I came out of the cinema. It was very Americanized, but but the fact that you know that they generated this kind of like stuff on the screen, it was just unheard of. Like I just I remember just like feeling. After I'd watched it, it was just such a mind-blowing event. But for me, like Back to the Future, the first, it's my favorite movie of all time, Back to the Future 1. And um, I, I remember watching it um, in the 80s. I was born after it came out in the cinema, sadly. So, I, was t- I mean, I wasn't born after it came out in the cinema. I'd come out of the cinema and I was too young at the time to have gone to watch yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, I was yeah. like a baby. Yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah. so I watched it when I was like six, seven years old. And um, yeah, mind-blown, really. It blew my mind. And it's influenced my entire life, that movie, I would say. So. It was on the telly. It was on the TV just the other, the other weekend there, and I taped it. Um, 
because my six-year-old was watching it with me because he's kind of into that. And then it was like this, there's a couple of questionable scenes where you're kind of like, mm, you can't kind of, <laughs> you can't kind of watch this kind of thing, you know. Um, but it was still such a good movie for the time and it holds up so well as well. Just yeah. the, the timing, the comedy, the, the effects and everything. There's very, very few kind of technical effects in it, but they just hold up kind of so well. And it's just like, you know what? I could just... I could get to the end of that film and I could just rewind that film and just start watching it again because it's like one of those films that you can it's, pick up. It's so funny. You're, you're showing your age because you're using the word rewind. Like that's a VHS comment, right? We don't rewind anything anymore. You know that. And it's yeah, but, it's so funny yeah, that you, it's so funny that some people use that. I would use that, right? I would say, oh, I could rewind it straight back again. I could just rewind it and start watching it again. But that's what you did at the time. Well, that's right. I don't know. That's, you right. were you would have been in the age where you rented out videotapes as well. And then yeah. what you would have done is you would have got the videotape on like the the fr- the on the Saturday night or something like that, you know. And then you would have watched it, and then you would have. What we used to do is we used to get the videotape out and then we used to watch it at night, get a pizza or yeah. some kind of, you know, some kind of easy to make food. And then the next morning we would wake up and you'd have to you'd Rew- try and make sure to remember you rewound the tape of the, the previous night so you didn't have to sit there because you were like nine or ten years old and, or you were 12 years old. You didn't have the patience to kind of wait. You're just hoping you could rewind it back to the beginning or whatever so you could just watch it kind of straight over. Then you'd have to take it back to the video store. And that would kind of like, it, it was kind of like, I don't know nowadays, trying to explain that to my kids, that's how it kind of worked. And they're just like, what? So... You paid, you paid basically seven pounds to rent a film. It's like, well, yeah, yeah, especially if it was just out. Yeah, if it <laughs> you know, just like, come out, yeah, and and you didn't own it. No, we had it for like an entire weekend. <laughs> basically, oh, the thing is, I, I don't think I don't wrong. think that's changed. I don't think that's changed. You go on Sky and you want to like order a film, you have the choice to buy it or rent the movie. Oh, I suppose, uh, and you you got like yeah. a three day like limit for the movie. I don't think that's changed much, to be honest. And uh, you know, with the way that like Netflix works as well, right? As long as you're subscribed you technically can rent the it's a technicality but you technically rent it because you never actually own it do you if you stop your subscription you know so i'm not i'm not i'm not convinced that that's really changed um per se like the business model was the same but um yeah like i mean it's just was a different a whole different experience like i remember watching um going to a friend's house and them having a movie and that was their birthday party like it was a big deal like you'd go around and we watched weird science it was one of the (laughs) Wow, I love that film. Right? Um, and and um, you know we'd watch Weird Science, and uh, to be fair, actually, all of those movies, you know, the Brat Pack movies, you know, a fair, yeah. Ferris Bueller's Day Off, um, you know, um, Pretty in Pink, um, what was yeah. the other ones? Uh, a Breakfast Club, of course, right? So all that that yeah, was that was my generation, right? So I'm like literally, like you, I just reminisce about all of those movies, like they were such a big deal to me um whereas they my, my kids just don't understand it at all yet they're not old enough they will be one you know my oldest is only eight so um it was the trailers that was the thing oh, on the vhs it was getting the yeah. trailers you would sit there and you go like well what's on it wasn't always it's like it was always a surprise yeah because movie news was so kind of like far behind um so you did your physics <laughs> yeah and then you went obviously out and got yourself a job yeah. and when yeah. did you start slipping back into the cardboard realm then so um so don't forget that that was still kind of happening on a saturday like it was always in the background but but the the reality is is that it was the same generic 
board games. So they didn't really mean anything to me. I, I played county chess. So, um, like chess was a big deal for a, a period of my life. I remember that being, uh, like something that I was involved in. I, I was in the telegraph chess championships with the, with my school. Um, we did quite well. We had a guy called Lawrence Trent, who's uh, now an international master of chess. He was, he was board one and I was board three. So there were six boards, and um, and so you know, I I remember these 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 people. Um, like it, it was a big deal. So board games has always been part of my life, but it's been very much in the background. Um, Magic, like I said, MTG Magic: The Gathering was not in the background. It was my one of my two loves, which is why I own a lot of the. I, I joined Magic: The Gathering in what we call um, rev- revised alpha beta, and then like there was unlimited and revised. Yeah. I joined just then. Okay, now I couldn't really afford to buy much of the cards i used to collect my pocket money and i'd go down to a shop which no longer exists anymore called destiny games and i'd go and buy a packet of uh, magic the gathering and then i just get obliterated by the people that work down there again and again and again and again um and um i I like uh, but what's happened is is obviously now i've got the cards still right um and then i looked at the prices for them and i'm like what the hell's gone on like these the the prices for these cards (laughs) are stupid um and uh, like i i tried to get back into it about four or five years ago when commander was a big deal we we always had like edh elder elder something head dragon or whatever it was called uh uh yeah something i can't remember like it was uh, we already had a version of what they what they what they have now which they call commander um and um i i like started to play again more recently but i really didn't like the new format um it's been a struggle and then i've started playing it online again and i don't know i can't get it out my system magic it's just been one of those things i I'd re- i don't even enjoy the game to be honest I'm, but it's 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 in my blood you know it's my entire childhood i think i spent a lot of time reminiscing about playing magic building decks um, would you would you sell would you sell the collection then i mean would there be a point where you just said like no this is uh, enough. I'm just going to kind of get rid of it. Or are, are you just kind of like, are you holding it on because more of the memories? Uh, do you know what? Then the financial um, value type of thing. Do you know what? I could not give two hoots about the financial value. I let my kids play with them. And I, if anyone saw what they're playing with, they would literally have a meltdown. Um, these cards, like, are hundreds of pounds. And I'm just, I let them just, like, you know, put them out, tap them, like, you know, well, like play them. I've taught, I've taught my kids how to play magic. Um, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll sit there and watch them because one of them's only four years old. Um, they're they're pretty bright kids, um, but they actually can understand how it works. Um, so they 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 basically play with them, but but um, and I really don't care. <laughs> like what will happen is is they'll slowly get damaged over time, and then they'll probably end up in a bin somewhere. Um, I, I I just don't care at all. I could like someone. I've I've had so many people like comment to me out of my friends and like, why don't you sell them? Then buy a whole load of comments for like next to nothing, and then just get because the, and I say to them this: those aren't the cards I played with. These are the cards I played with. These are the cards that I want my kids to play with because they they're like it's a, it's a heritage. Like you know, this was what I grew up on. I want them to grow up on the same thing. Um, well, when the game was good, like I, that's going to be another uh unpopular opinion. But uh, when the game was actually balanced. And they hadn't had this power creep that completely destroyed the game from the inside out. Um, there were things that needed fixing, actually, to be fair. But but I, I, I've never stopped playing card games as well. That's always been important to me. So um, like yeah. the last, I don't know, eight years of my life, I, I was playing Netrunner. Uh, do you know Netrunner at all? No, I've never ever heard of Net. Of course, I've heard of Netrunner. Oh, I don't know. I mean, I, yeah, I don't know what. So I, I am very, I am very, very old. I am also, I'm very, very good at passing off that I, I have knowledge of stuff. Yeah, I mean, um, Netrunner was really funny that it kind of appeared. 
in a huge fanfare burned very, very brightly for a reasonably a reasonably short period of time compared to magic. Yeah, yeah. And then it just and then they just turned around one day and went, right, that's it. Game over. And and it's it seems to have it's just it's kind of staying value just hasn't it hasn't stayed. I've, I know people that were playing I know people that are playing Netrunner like religiously and I know people that still go out and want to play it kind of now and again and stuff like that. But as far as, you know, the club I go to and stuff like that, it's unfortunately it's been dead for, you know, a couple of years now, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I mean, Fantasy Flight killed the game before the game died um, because of Wizards, right? I mean, you know, and I I say this as someone who's friends uh, with a guy called Mintren, who's the owner of Jinteki. Um, which is the, a website where you can play the game online and has influenced, he was the world number two um, and, and has influenced his choice of decks to compete with. Like I, I was coming up with ideas for, 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 uh, for deck building for him. Um, and you can all look that up online and find the credits and whatnot. But, but, you know, I, I was involved at a pretty high level of the game. Um, mm-hmm. never really wanting to go and, um, you know, take it up any more seriously than that. But I was like very much playing, like you were saying, religiously the game, uh, mm-hmm. really enjoyed it. And then they killed the game from inside out because w- what it's hard to explain unless people understand the game. But one of the things I love about the game, in fact, it's why it happens in Vector Wars. It's something, you know, there are mechanics from games that I've taken over my life that I've enjoyed. And it's good that you're asking me these questions because when someone asks me, so how did Vector Wars come about? It's a very difficult question because there's lots of different games that have taken pieces from um and and, and I'll, I'll come back to one of them because you've already kind of asked me about it uh, earlier. Um, but in Netrunner, you play with uh, ice uh, face down. These are like protective cards that stop someone coming in and taking very important um, victory point agendas. Um, and, um, you know, it's like a mystery as to where, what they're going to find when they go up against them. Um, and so the, they created this situation where they did, you no longer needed ice. You no longer needed these barriers. You could just create lots and lots of different fake shells uh and stop them getting into those by making them pay a lot of money and it destroyed the game it made it the most boring uh game ever um and it was forcing the meta to play very particular cards and that's not what it was about the whole enjoyment of netrunner is the surprise like you know you could win any minute you could win in the first three turns of the game it's like theoretically possible you you run you run the library uh, it's not called a library in, in in netrunner but you run basically the deck of cards and if you hit if you hit agendas three times in a row and you got enough points then you'd win the game like and that was the whole point it was like very random but not random like it was very strategical um in the choice of play and so they they killed the game before i'd already stopped playing before the um before fantasy fantasy flight said that they'd lost the license and i think that a lot of their um netrunner fans had also gone i mean um i don't know if you know shut up and sit down but um they have uh there's a guy um on there who who's a, a, a massive netrunner fan he's actually had it tattooed to his arm i noticed uh, the the link sign and um he he's uh he stopped playing as well and i i i think we'd stopped playing about the same time and i would not even i've never heard his views or thoughts on it but he publicly stopped playing i'm a nobody um and i was like oh there must be something going on here in a wider community than just i'm 
I'm not the only one who's noticing this, basically. So yeah, it it died. It killed. I think Fantasy Flight killed the game before before Wizards took the license back. To be honest, do you miss it? Yeah, I do. Do you miss having a similar game like that? Because I've seen people graduate onto other things like Legends of the Five Rings. Yeah, I, I tried. Which seems I tried. I tried Game of Thrones. I tried Legends of the Five Rings. I tried. Um, yeah. I tried quite a few uh, other games, and nothing really um, matches it. Um, I, more recently, um, played quite a bit of Keyforge, um, and they're all like Garfield games. You know, like I. I <laughs> I can't, I can't sit with Keyforge. I don't know why. It, it's, it's okay. I enjoy it. Uh, I, I never really bought into it. I, I, I've won a few games in a, in a local shop, but it didn't, I didn't bring me much joy. So I don't know. It, it might be that I can't until I, there's something that needs to be a, a magic recipe of the cards before I like jump in on it. But I know I'm not the only one who feels that way. Um, so it's something that I've discussed with quite a lot of friends um, who are board game designers who are also very much into that. Oh, uh, like actually Star Realms. Like I'm a massive Star Realms fan. If you probably search up online, you'll find pictures of me like winning store champs and stuff at Star Realms. Uh, love that game. Love that card game. Um, like mat- I've got like mats and stuff that I've won. I really, really enjoyed it. Um, did you did you ever play it online through the online? Oh, on the app, yeah, I played on the app and stuff, but uh, it's not the same as playing in person. I, 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 and I, that's another thing. Like I play Magic online, but but these things never feel the same. You can't have, you don't get to say anything. You know, when you play that card and you and you look at the opponent's face and you just have that moment of do, do they do they have a counter spell? Like, like it's, it's you can't. It's not the same. You're not you, you know. It's like playing poker online. I mean, what is that? It's just. Mm. How can you tell if someone's bluffing when you're online? You're just guessing statistically, like, uh, whatever. It's not the same. You play the person, like, when, I think that's one of the things with board games. People need to understand that you don't just play the game. You play the person. And if you're no longer playing the person, then it's just an automated, like, statistical number system, uh, which loses half the joy, in my opinion. Yeah. uh, Yeah, I've written reviews where I've, the most recent review, I kind of re-released for Wildlands, and I said that, they kind of like I played it two player and had an absolute blast, and then being totally excited about playing it again, I said okay to my four player. You know, I set up a four player game with my friends and said, "This is an amazing game. You can play it." And they kind of didn't get it, and they kind of walked away, kind of wanting more and expecting something kind of like a, a little bit more complicated. And they kind of walked away from it, going, "Yeah, okay, it's fine." And I was going to go, no, no, this is absolutely really, really good fun, really, really good, amazing and stuff like that. And I think, yeah, it depends entirely on sometimes the the people that you're playing with and if they're willing to go back and forward with a bit of banter. And yeah, sometimes in Star Realms, because play, I've played Star Realms quite a lot. In fact, we played Star Realms so much that we ended up kind of um, moving away from it. Yeah, yeah, I, um, I, I, because, I totally understand. Because that. once you get to a point, yeah, once you get to a point, you're kind of like, well, I know I'm going to do this. I know, I know. There's like seven, there's seven or eight key cards in the base deck that everybody yeah. has to go for, and once you've got that, then you're pretty much, you know, you're pretty I love much kind of home free. I love the needle, you know? the stealth needle. Like that, that card is so broken. Yeah, yeah like it's just one of those key cards, and there's only one of them in the the original set. So, like, but but you know what? Um, when you play people who know how to play that game, which is what you do when you get when you go to tournaments, right? Then then, then it makes you start to try and think about alternate 
ways to beat your opponent um and if there are other mechanisms than just buying the same cards over and over again and i think that again that that you're going to find out that all of this stuff all these thoughts that i've had brings us back to why vector wars came about and the last one oh yeah well, you just reminded me the last one was final fantasy 7 so i don't know if you ever played final fantasy 7 but specifically final fantasy 8 there was a game there was a card game in it called triple triad Triple triad, yeah. So one of the things about Vector Wars, you'll notice that there are four numbers, uh, one on each side of the card, and it's literally um, the mechanism from Triple Triad. I, I love that card game. It was so simple, um, and it was um, well put together inside a, um, you know, a much bigger, obviously, like role-playing style um, game that Squaresoft do for... Um, for Final Fantasy, yeah. I never understood. I never understood why there was never any some kind of commercial release with that, and I've never understood why nobody's ever kind of gone back. I've seen there was, for the longest time, there was like a almost like a bootleg Android version which yeah, they taken that. all the cards, yeah. and as soon as yeah. yeah, as soon as Square Enix or Squeenix or whatever they're called got their got their got an, an eye to that, they were like, nope, off. And I've always wondered why, you know, a game like that. Because he used to spend just, I remember spending hours just going and finding somewhere to play and just playing it until we couldn't be bothered kind of playing it anymore. And then just going back the next night and playing it. I think it it got to the point where... You forgot, um, the, forgot the game. We got to play the game. The actual, yeah, yeah, the same forgot, as me. There's like a 70 hour like, role playing game about it. Yeah, totally, like I understand that, absolutely. and and so I wanted to bring Triple Triad back alive, right? Like because game mechanisms for people that don't know, game mechanisms are not copyrightable. You can t- you can you know take rolling dice like it would have been gone with Monopoly, like you know. Um, so you can't they can't copyright a game mechanism, and one of the mechanisms that you'll see in Vector Wars is a Triple Triad style mechanism that exists in the game it, it's uh, it's part of the combat mechanism um and so you know it's it's brought it back to life in some way and if you are a final fantasy kind of fan then you, and you'd love to triple try it then this is your only real opportunity in an actual board game um to to take part in that again uh, when the kickstarter comes out i'm sure we'll talk more about that in a minute where'd you get the idea from i mean what made you decide to sit down and Put something together. Was it the kind of the apathy because no, no, it wasn't Netrunner no. was disappearing, or was there anything you said? Really, actually, this is my turn. I've got. I'm going to put something kind of out there. No, it's it's not it's not like that actually. Um, what happened was, I mean, there's obviously there's probably a small element subconsciously about that, but not not actively. Uh, you know, I'm I'm a physics teacher. I've got a lot of knowledge of mathematics. Uh, I've got a higher knowledge of mathematics and physics, and. I naturally started to, you know, I, I, once I started to investigate, so this comes as part of my, your answer, an answer to a previous question you asked me about. When did I slowly come back into board games, right? Like, mm. and that, the answer to that is once I decided to stop playing magic and once I decided to investigate other board games, which happened basically after university, I, I became a stockbroker and then I finished with that and wanted to become a teacher. And when I became a teacher, I had a bit more time in the holidays and whatnot. And I really wanted to investigate what else was out there. And I went to this phenomenal shop, um, my local uh, Finchley shop called Leisure Games. Um, really fabulous community in there. Great people. You know, it's like legendary, this shop in the UK, honestly. Um, and, you know, they just slowly pulled me, sucked me into like all the different board games that were out. And I started to see the diversity. Um, Pandemic was one of the first gateway games I tried. Um, 
Um, but, uh, you know, and I, I really enjoyed Pandemic, to be honest. I, I really, really liked it as one of the first games um, that I that I played. Um, and then uh, I started to see some worker placement. It's like the same thing that everyone, I think it's the same. Anyone who's got into board games has gone through the same, um, you know, Forgotten Realm style worker placement game. Um, you know, it's... Uh, it, <laughs> It's one of those things. So you go through the same kind of Stone Age and and um, Carcassonne and Catan and and I, I I hate all of those games by the way now quite a lot. Um, I will not play them if someone asks me to play them, but not because they're bad games, but because I've just played them too much. I've just like had enough. And it was at that point I think once I started to head into the midweight games, I started to understand the mathematics behind some of the games. Um, I, yeah. I started to understand some of the simulation modeling that had taken place behind the games. I could see the mathematics behind what the value of the resources were. Uh, some of them are more overt than others. So if you play, um, uh, not from sand to sea, what was the first one called? Um, a spice road. Um, you could literally take the number four, make it brown, the number three, make it green, the number two, make it red, and the number one, and make it yellow, and start adding up those values and have a look at the cards and decide whether the value of the card that you're receiving is more efficient than the card that you're. So you'd hate playing me, probably. I don't know what kind of game you're like, but if, if you're if you if you can't stand like a lot of people can't stand the mathematicians that are working out whether they're playing the most efficient move, right? I'm sitting there going, this is slightly more efficient than that one. Um, and, and, um, once I started to play those kind of games, Splendor, um, I, I started to see that there is obviously a quite simple mathematical set behind it. Um, and then I thought to myself, Do you know what? After I'd gone through that, that there was better things that could be done. There's a lot more that can be achieved. Yeah. I feel like we've come to a static element in board games where people are stuck with Euro, worker placement, uh, tile placement, um, you know, um, Ameritrash. Like, it, it, I feel like, you know, I, how many, how many worker placement games can you have? I go on, I go on Kickstarter and there's another great worker placement game. I just looked at Godspeed, actually. I don't want to talk too much about other people's stuff, but I looked at Godspeed. It looks fabulous, right? Good for them. Like, it looks great. And then I'm like, do I want to get it? I'm like, no, because I have 10 amazing or 12 amazing worker placement games. What am I going to do when you go to the, <laughs> when I go to my cupboard? Like, I'm not playing the games that I already want to be playing. I'm going to have another one that I'm not going to play and get to stare at because I've got, you know, 12 other good worker placement games. So, it's become a real comp you know competition for a particular style of game whether it's resource management or whatever it is i think it gets more difficult as time goes on because i think we're at the point where there's games that have issues and they don't come until you get the 10th or the 15th playthrough where people go oh right this is actually if you could play this card this is actually can be fairly broken kind yeah, of thing yeah um, yeah, but I don't. I think that's kind of few and far between. I think there's quite a lot. The majority of games have been play tested, you know, hundreds and hundreds of times. It's, 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 I find it actually hilarious that one of the t questions I'll always ask people is, "Oh yeah, how, how many kind of play testing sessions did you go through?" And they go, "Oh well, you know, um, went to th went to kind of like the last kind of three four major cons, kind of got." kind of um, was down at like three or four different clubs in the area must have gone through about two or three hundred kind of play tests in total yeah and the irony of the situation is that in the way the kind of the board game kind of hobby seems to be going is that the person that actually ends up taking taking advantage of your kickstarter and having it delivered 
they're probably lucky if they'll maybe get it to the table three or four times. Isn't that sad? Don't you think that's sad? Because because seven or eight other games. There's so many layers of strategy to some of the games, right? That you just play it once or twice and you're not really even touching the strategy. You're just, it's like almost a learning game. And, you know, I feel like. Uh, you know, I've got, I've, I'm, I'm to blame, just like everyone else. I've got like a couple of hundred games, right? Um, and you know, if you think about it, I've got a group that comes once a week. If I'm lucky, I might get a second time where I go to like the the local cafe. Uh, and um, you know, what, what, how many games can you play a year? What fifty? Two hundred? You haven't even you haven't even gone through half your collection, maybe once. Like even if you've got a hundred, a modest collection of a hundred games, like I, I, I say modest, it's a quite, it's a lot, right? But you, you still, um, you're still only going to maybe play each of those games once. And if they, if you're not, if you don't like those games and you don't want to play them again, then they shouldn't be in your collection anyway. You should have sold them on, move on to someone else who's going to want them, right? So I'm assuming that the collections that people have, and I see vast collections, big collections everywhere. But how many times are you playing those games? Um, and there are some games that I absolutely love. So, for example, I'll give you an example of what I'm talking about. Anachrony, right? I love Anachrony. Phenomenal game. Has loads of expansions. Not touched any of the modules so far. Because I don't even understand. I don't think I've got really through the um, the, the tactics and the strategy yeah. Of the of yeah. the basic core set. And how many times have I had the chance to play that game? Maybe four and it, and I'm and I it, I'm desperate to get it to the table again. But there's so many other games that are there to like try out. You know, I got Dynogenics. That's the last worker placement game I bought, and I don't think really? yeah. And and I I got all this stuff the recently on the Kickstarter. I bought all the expansion stuff for it again. And I just I don't think I'm I think I'm going to ban myself from buying any more worker placement games, even if they're incredible, because. Have you not played it? Have you not had a chance to play it? Not had a chance to play it. I've had it sitting there for now I've six, six to eight it, months. I've played it three times. What did you think of it? It's really good. Yeah. I really enjoyed it. I really, really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed the kind of the immediacy of it. And it is one of these, it is a typical worker placement game where all you're doing is you're placing your guys, you're getting your resources. But the way it kind of works and interacts off things, it's it was fun. And, and the people that played it had a kind of a fun time. And especially there's the kind of the... The kind of the building parks kind of scenario, and it was compared an awful lot to Dinosaur Island. I played that. And they seem to be. Kind of, I played that quite a bit. There are kind of two two different beasts. Yeah, I mean, to me. I've watched them. Um, I've watched a playthrough of Dinogenic, so I know what the game mechanisms look like. Um, and I've I've played um, Dinosaur Island a lot because I've got a friend who owns it. You know, we try not to both uh, like if I've got a group, we try not to all own the same game because what's the point, right? Um, yeah. So. Yeah. So he they he owns uh, my friend he owns Dinogen uh sorry Dinosaur Island and and I've played Dinosaur Island a good good few times now and I really like that game a lot I find it a little bit on the clunky side because of the number of uh, um, phases that you have to go through I find it a little on the clunky side but but very clever well put together probably play tested a billion time game um, and I I was just like I wouldn't buy this. Because I have, although I really liked it, I have eight or nine better worker placement games. And and I haven't played Dynogenics yet, but if I feel like it's never going to get back to the table, I will just sell it on. I will move it on. Someone else is going to love it, I'm sure. Mm. And if I can't, if I don't feel like I'm going to want to rotate it through with the other nine worker placement games that I've got, then I'm not going to bother. And my favorite worker placement game is not Anachrony. It's actually um, Champions of Midgard. That is my, fir- my favorite worker placement game. 
I've heard some good things. I've heard a good, some really good things about Champions of Midgard. I've never, I never had the chance with, with to play the expansions. It. With the expansions, so. with the, it has to be with the expansions. Otherwise, it's it's mm-hmm. just mm-hmm. pretty mediocre. Mm-hmm. So, um, Vector Wars. Let's give me the give me the skinny in the rundown on Vector Wars because you've mentioned there's a couple of trigger things that's got me going. Oh, I need to really see this game. And that is the whole triple triad thing, first of all, because that gets a big tick tick in my box. If you just said, I'm going to just give you a deck of triple triad, I'd be like, okay, that's brilliant. I will back it for you. Um, so, so, like, look, it's it's hard to explain in one sentence, okay? If, I, and if you force me, which is what it, the internet does, because no one's got the patience to actually listen to what the game is, because it doesn't fit in any one particular genre, okay? But if you force me, then I'll tell you that it's a, a two-player area combat tactics game. That's what I would tell you if you force me to do it in a sentence. But being that I've got a little bit longer to explain it, I'm going to, mm-hmm. I'm going to tell you that it's an asymmetric um, resource management area domination tactical combat game with hidden movement. Um, and so that's adding a whole load of mechanisms together. So I'll tell you where each of the mechanisms that you'll recognize uh, similar to so it has a marketplace mm-hmm. um just like star realms which i absolutely adore but the marketplace does it's not a deck builder you start with all nine characters in your hand um and if you bought something from the market it'd go directly into your hand which you could play straight away there is no deck so you can play any of your nine characters anytime you like right um and the nine characters that you have all have what we call flip abilities you play them face down just like Netrunner, where you get that surprise element. Um, and playing them face down into a, the grid, which is a three by three um, grid, um, styled with a Tron style look, because one of my favorite movies from the 80s. Um, and you, you play them face down, and you are, at first, you're going to want to just focus on the synergistic behavior of the cards that you have. And the first time that you play Vector Wars, and this I've seen, I've played, this game's been play tested like, nearly a thousand times probably at this point um and you just you the first thing i see that people do is they want to just play the cards that they've got um but then they're ignoring the whole point which is is that each card has four numbers and that dictates the strength of each side of the card and so playing it in a particular area on the board is going to be stronger or weaker depending on where you play it um the there are three different strengths of flip abilities in your hand and mm-hmm. you start with five credits so you have money when you kill people you get money and victory points and the game is winning victory by one by victory points not by a domination of area on the boards which is why it's not quite uh, quite accurate when I say it's like a two-player tactics area domination game because the area doesn't mean anything. If it, the only way the area would mean everything is if you lo- locked out your opponent by having all nine of your cards on the grid. Then you would just call a lockout and you automatically win the game irrespective of whether you're winning or losing mm-hmm. by victory points. All right, okay. So, so you're, you know, you've got these uh, flip abilities. They're asymmetric. They're not the same flip abilities. There are four different factions um, in the um, in the game that that come free with the core set, and they are they play very very differently. Um, some of them are strong at combat. That's what they do. They're just very good at combat. Others make money, which allows you to buy um, cards from the marketplace. Uh, one of the, one important rule is that the credits are actually worth a victory point at the end of the game. So when you spend your money on cards from the marketplace, you're actually reducing the number of victory points that you have. 
So there's a risk reward management that you're having to deal with all the time because the marketplace cards mm-hmm. are very powerful and they will give you an advantage. They're more powerful than the flip abilities that people have. On top of that, you have loads of actions. So it's action selection. You, you take every player takes just one action per turn and there are some free actions that you can choose to add on, bolt on. Yeah. But, um, yeah. but it's an action selection choice. Um, and deploying, putting your card down into the grid isn't a choice in action, but there are the stuff that starts on the grid. There's money on the grid. There's, um, there's shield cubes on the uh, grid, which would, if you were to place them on your card, would allow you to lose a combat without dying. There, there's a movement card. There's a, what we call a gravity world token which allows you to move your opponent or yourself around the grid to a free adjacent space so there's lots of stuff going on there um so after the first time someone plays they're going to just be focusing on their cards because it's hard to cope with the second time someone plays they're going to notice the marketplace because that's what happens that's what tends to happen they go ah why didn't i think about the marketplace i should have taken this i could have put this in blah blah blah. the third time they play something they play the game they're going to remember the cards that their opponent had and what they did so they're going to start to play the, the the shell game, you know, this kind of, uh, well, I'm playing this, I'm pretending to play this strong card here, but it's not actually the card he thinks I'm going to play kind of game. And so what happens is, is this game has multiple layers of depth to it. And every time you play it, you're going to see layers and layers of strategy that just um, bubble to the surface, um, which is going to give you the advantage. And the beauty, I think what's I love about this game the most is I spent three months on the mathematics checking the balance, making sure that the balance um, that sits the mechanic, you know, the mathematics that sits underneath ta- the tapestry that holds the DNA of the game together is about as balanced as you can get. So really and truly, it comes down to the skill of your opponent and a little bit, a tiny, tiny bit of luck because you roll a dice for combat, but it can be mitigated quite a lot. That gives you awesome. that, gives you, that, that gives you the best rounding i can do in the shortest period of time it's it's a it's a reasonable it's a reasonable attempt i think we'll go to the judges and we'll see what score will give you oh god out of 10 um you sound like you got the games nailed in terms of play testing you know yeah mathematics yeah what have you found i mean this is the second time that you've been to kickstarter that's right yeah with this project yeah, that's right were you did how it do did it take you by surprise the first time were you kind of like yes here we go and then you're just like damn this isn't working out how we wanted yeah to work out did it take did it take you by surprise when you first launched jumped onto kickstarter i've been taken by surprise by the apathy like by by people you know i can scream up and down jump up and down about how good the game is but no one's going to be interested because i'm the designer so every designer thinks their game's amazing right um and so you know um at the time I, i i knew that um but i thought that when people had an opportunity to look at it play it see it that they would be excited by it and I think I didn't do enough and enough of a job the first time to engage the community uh, as a whole. I just thought people would look at the mechanisms, they'd see that this is something very different to the, what they've experienced before. There's no game like it on the market. There's, there's, it's a two-player board game. Like so a lot of people said to me, "Why don't you just get rid of the board? What do you need the board for? Just get rid of the board." And I was like, "Because it just doesn't work without the board." We've tried it. We tried it in game testing. It just is very difficult to follow because there are dice placements around the cards to a maximum of three. There's there's movement. It's very very hard. You, you can't. You just can't do it. So I asked you. I asked the question: How many two player board games are there actually out there? Um, and there aren't that many. There there are a few, but there aren't that many. And 
And so it, it's, it, I thought, do you know what? It's different. People are going to really want to jump on board because this is got an interesting IP and it's different. And I was wrong. I was really, really wrong. That is not what it's about. I need to sell people on the idea. I need to offer them significantly more than what I originally understood from the Kickstarter. In fact, I would say I was quite ignorant, to be honest. Um, and, and I've been humbled by the entire process of the first round. Um, um, because they're, they're cutthroat, the people that, you know, invest in Kickstarter. I think Kickstarter is strange because if you go with a two player game, people ask where the three and four player and five player expansions are. <laughs> or they ask where the solo player mode is. Yeah. People, it's like one of these things, it's like I'm presenting, I'm presenting this. But you see it all, you see it all the time. It's like people come on with standees. Where's the miniatures? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? People yeah. come on with this. Where's the stretch? I mean, uh, Moonrakers that, you know, went and did almost four hundred over $400,000. With no stretch Didn't have goals. any stretch. Yeah. No stretch goals. Yeah. No stretch goals. And it's like, people are going, but what about the stretch goals? It's like, well, we're we're not doing this for stretch. And people couldn't, people couldn't grasp it. They were like tearing their hair out. They were, you know, banging their heads against the computer screen. They were just like, you know, there was entire just single forum posts on Reddit just saying no stretch goals with no reference to Moonrakers or whatsoever. People just actually blew their minds to do that. And I think that um, there's a sense of... Um, I think the Kickstarter itself has moved away from a kind of a sense of people wanting to help other people achieve things and sometimes there's a borderline sense of entitlement. Yeah. So if somebody jumps onto Kickstarter and if they don't see what they want, they feel that they know they're a backer and they know that they have a power by pledging money to you and therefore they have the right to... It used to be a case they would make suggestions and sometimes some people are quite upfront and say, well, why aren't you doing this? I think you should do kind of do this. Everyone I've thing. ever met about that want to talk about Kickstarter talks about it like they were, that they're correct and that there is no other opinion um, mm -hmm. about Kickstarter. Um, and so whatever choices I've made, um, over the time, you know, I, I remember when, when it failed the first time and it didn't fail. I, I, I so let, let me explain. Let me put this in context. Four massive or five massive Kickstarters came out at the same time. Um, and we just got lost in the ether, right? If literally yeah. the ether fields actually was one of them. So literally the ether fields <laughs> yeah. of, of, of the game. I think Dice Throne came out at the time as well. Um, yeah, th there were just, there were just like some multi million pound Kickstarters. And also the, what's happened to Kickstarters? It's really sad actually. Um, because it used to be a place to help people who've got a great idea get funded. But the big businesses have come in and just taken over and they take over everywhere. Like I, I, I struggle to do PR. I'm one man, by the way. I didn't, I've created everything other than the artwork. I have a great artist, mm -hmm. Hal Aaron. He's just yeah, incredible, yeah, yeah. right? I don't know if you've seen the artwork for it, but this guy is just like, and I've known him from like, I've got a massive comic book fan. I, I used to work in like uh, interviewing famous people that wrote comic books and stuff and uh, and I met him over the years and uh, as soon as I was ready to make a board game and I wanted an artist I said to him I, I want you buddy you, you know you, I know what I know what you can do you're the right man for this job mm. and he, he's just phenomenal yeah. but the, the thing is right is that you you go to Kickstarter and you're trying to PR right you're trying to get people to hear about this board game uh, and I really want to come back by the way to your solo uh, player point as well at some point so i'm trying to remind myself here but you really want to like get people to 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 have a look and 
everyone's charging serious sums of money, especially the Americans, right? You want to get it previewed? 600 pounds, right? Think about it. I've got the prototype has cost me like a few hundred pounds. I think the proto from China cost me like four or five hundred. The one I built myself cost me around 150 each, right? So if I want to send them a proto, then I'm going to have to pay, let's say I'd send one of the cheap ones that I made 150, 200 quid. The cost to send it, another 100 quid. It's gone because I'm not going to get it back because it's in the US. Then another 600 pounds for the preview. So that's a grand. That's a grand for one preview, right? And you're just like, well, how much must people be spending on PR? And now, you know, I can't financially do that. I just cannot. I can't. I just, it's just not feasible. I'm, I'm, I'm a, I'm a physics teacher. It's like I told you, so we don't, we don't, I'm not made of money. Um, so I like, you know, I, I've had to come up with like ingenious ways to, to deal with that. Um, and, and if you want to send it to the US, you want to send it to diet, you know, I'm not going to mention them actually, but. They've got enough PR. We don't need any more for them. But if you want to send it to any of the big boys in, in, in America, it's going to cost you a lot of money. And you, I can imagine that these big companies are spending at least 10 grand on PR, maybe more. And, and so the, the average, you know, single bloke who's got a board game, he wants to put it out there and he's, he's done everything. Well, first of all, you have to take it much further than you ever did before. When Kickstarter started, I could have come with just an idea, just a couple of pictures of ideas, frankly, a little bit of artwork from the artist, and people would have backed it and gone, yeah, we love what you're thinking of doing, get it done. Now you have to come with an all, my game's complete. I'm not, I'm, there's nothing new that needs to be added to the game. There are things that I'm doing, and that, that's where the solo mode comes in. I'm working on a solo mode at the, at the moment, um, and I think that if I come back to Kickstarter, I'll, I'll do a very cheap Kickstarter with solo mode and a couple of more factions and a, a bit of an expansion, um, which which I'd like to do. But like you know, the banners on Facebook, the the, the companies that are going across the board, just you know, and, and now the requirement, the cost of the artwork that I've had to produce, all the different hats that I've had to wear to try and get to the stage that I'm at now, it's probably unfeasible for for a lot a lot of people, and that's why. Kickstarter's filled with big companies, mostly. There are, you still get the first time as doing a phenomenal job. Um, but mostly, if you're not backed by serious finances, it's very hard. It's very, very hard. I think, I think what you see now is you see, um, and you get companies like, say, Alley Cat Games doing it, um, that they'll, they'll, they'll see a Kickstarter idea. And what they'll do is they'll, they'll end up putting out a game which they haven't designed themselves but they're putting out through their almost like their kickstarter account because they've got the backing and everything behind it and yeah i mean i agree with your points it's like i've said this countless times before i cannot look at i before i could look at maybe 10 kickstarter campaigns and have a really really good idea of what potentially could be funded and what's going to kind of do well and nowadays I reckon it's more and more to do with what you've done on the ground because I'm not entirely convinced social media is a amazing way forward. I've said this a few times now. I've not I've seen people running spectacularly loud social media campaigns constantly on Facebook and I've seen them really struggle on Kickstarter where I've you know, um Solar Storm um Randa Games they just did a, you know, they did yeah, I know, a the, huge the phenomenal amount of money. The cooperative game. Yeah, they did a huge phenomenal amount of money on Kickstarter. But then I met, um, I met them. Uh, they were at Aircon. Yeah. Um, and I met them, and they were demoing 
every single day, non-stop, throughout the kind of the throughout the con, they'd gone down there, they'd invested whatever money to kind of stay down there for a couple of days, and they'd been demoing demoing kind of non-stop from nine from ten o'clock in the morning until six or seven or whoever. They're, they're was phenomenally there hard work. I saw them at UKGE. They're phenomenally hard working guys, and they deserve. Yeah, they, they were just they were just they deserve, they were they deserve the success. But they, was, they were they still spent. They must have still spent a lot of money because you know they've had to have stands at all these places all the stand the stands themselves forget anything else the stand's going to cost them three four hundred quid right Mm -hmm. you know if you're going to ukg and they had a decent stand um in the in the in the main in the main hall back left fine it wasn't like central or whatever but they must have spent a few hundred quid doing that and then they have to dress it up so that's going to cost them another few hundred quid like you know, they had advertising all over social media. I saw their advertising campaign, and then, you know, and um, they've had to work hard and spend a lot of money, and that and that's the reality. And then they have, you know, they've been paid back for it. Um, and I, I, you know, if you you need money to make money, they say sometimes, and I feel like they've done everything that they possibly could on the on mm. on a budget. And if anybody, and when I, you know, I've spoken to them, asked them to have a look at my Kickstarter and stuff. First of all, they're just decent people. They, they were prepared. The guy, the main guy who like, um, I can't remember his name. I met him on the group, but um, the main guy who like made made the game came and had a look, and he, he gave me some feedback. Useful, very constructive, like nothing personal, like feedback. Um, and they're just decent. Wish me luck, you know. And I, I, I think that they've done as good as you possibly can on a on a budget, on a reasonable, semi affordable budget through hard work tireless hard work and having a decent game they've got a decent game um you know um so if i could emulate their success that would be like uh really great um you know really really great and i but to be honest with you our pr is not my thing it's not i know i'm not the best person at pr it's very difficult to wear every hat you know i, I build the kickstarter you, you you edit the you edit the stuff you build the game you do the math you look at the art you manage the project you do the production i'm in contact with with china all the time like working through production and you know like i said like kickstarter kickstarter humbles you because the demand of the people is so great now that you either deal with the demand or they will cutthroatly ignore you um and i i feel like i've leveled up like everything in this attempt and you anyone can freely go and have a look at what 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 it's done because i just put out the preview links everywhere but i've leveled up everything i possibly can physically viably can to try and entice people to be part of the campaign um and i've engaged like you said like exactly like you said i've tried to engage the people mm-hmm um mm. a lot more which was a mistake that i i didn't do i just thought it would stand on its own merits and that was quite naive of me to be honest what's the price of entry how much is it going to be to get in the door so i want to take part in the wars yeah wars. how much green that has to be seen before i get into the scene so it's for the core set um, and when I say core set, the expansions are free so when i, I mean core set because there's a deluxe set so the core set is 32 pounds um, which I felt was pretty good value for money. Uh, £32, the, the, the delivery to the UK is, is not, not, not massively expensive. I think it's like seven or eight quid. Um, that's about it really. So you could probably get the whole lot for under 40 quid. If you buy, I've got a, like a bulk buy. If you buy six, mm. I think you get it for two pound cheaper per copy. So you get it for 30 quid, but it goes to one delivery address. Um, Okay. And then there's a deluxe version, which is 60 quid. Um, but you're getting 
you're getting some cool stuff in there like really cool stuff you get cool stuff in the core set actually originally all the uh, this is another thing all the uh, stretch goals that i had in the first campaign i completely wiped them out and made them part of the game and had to, and developed a whole load more stretch goals so that i have taken like i said i leveled up um so the dice yeah. The, the dice was a stretch goal. They're part of them. The, 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 the expansions were a stretch goal. They're just coming in. Corset, everything. You're just getting the lot now. So if if I was asking you kind of what, why would you back the game? What if you, what would you say if you like certain things, what would you, what would make somebody like it? If they're into certain mechanics, why would they consider kind of going and back in Vector Wars? It's just fun. Like, it's so much fun to play the game. Like, why do we play any board games? It's fun. Like, it's super fun to play this game. And you're going to get an experience. There are different type of gamers, okay? So if you're a gamer, first of all, you need to like two-player games. I can't... If you don't like two-player games, don't back the game, right? I can't help you with that one. It's not something I can fix. Uh, it, like, in the future, I, like this is another thing that I've been working on, which is a 2v2 version. But but I, I, I never know whether that's going to see the light of day, okay? It's, it's complicated. There's lots of reasons for that. Um, but so, so buy it for what it is now. That's what I would say. If you like two player games, then this is about as good as it's going to get for a two player game. Um, the, the, you know, I really think that it's not a CCG. It's not a, you know, it's not a living card game. It's not a collectible card game. You're getting everything in the box. Everything's there. The, if, it, if I bring out an expansion, it's going to be just more full sets that you will get there's no there's not going to ever be a, a ccg or anything of this um and you're going to have mechanisms put together that you've just never experienced not not in this way there is no game like it there really isn't um i and i say that with quite a lot of confidence i've played a lot of games i'm one of you i'm one of the i'm one of the board gamers right um playing every week a different game almost um and i can tell you there's just i've never seen anything like it there's the the, the main reason that anyone would want to buy this game if you're a, if you're someone who has a lot of board games, is it's because it's something a new experience. If you not if you don't have a lot of board games, but you like Magic the Gathering, you like Netrunner, and you like that, then you need to know that this is probably one of the best synergistic big play games that you're ever going to get. If you want that moment where you're sitting there and then everything just comes together in some beautiful moment then this is the game for you because that's always what was what I loved in Magic, and it was just like building that moment that you're just going to completely destroy your opponent. Um, and, and the thing is, is that because it's so well balanced, even though you've had that moment, there is every chance that they can get back into the game. And they do. And that's the, that's the, that's the horrible thing of it, right? They do get back into the game. So you're just like, what the, ah, damn it. How did they do that? They had that thing and I didn't notice and it did this. And I was like, why? Should have thought about that. You know, I've, I, do you know what? I've played 500 games myself, right? 500 games, I'm telling you. Like, two last two years, I was just taking it regularly, different places, blind tests, whatever. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. And I'll just yeah. play it with my own friends. Like, I love the game myself, obviously. And and I've played people that I've played for the first time. They've beaten me. And I'm like, what the? This is not acceptable, right? You know, it's not acceptable because I've played it so many times and I didn't let any, I've never let anybody win. That's just not my style. Um, it's that competitive spirit in me. I can't help myself. <laughs> um, and, and I'm just like, they've beaten me and they've beaten me because they have put strategies and synergies that I'd never seen before. They did stuff with the game that I hadn't even calculated as a possibility. And so when I saw those happen for the first time, I was like, I just got done by some brilliant person I played with, came up with a genius idea and they, and they put it into action. And, and if your game does that, you know, that's what it, that's what it's all about. 
What's good about this, Eli, is there's obviously there's a lot of passion behind this. You hear, a, you, you know, there's a lot of, there's two ways that you can put out a project. You can put out a project because you believe commercially it's going to really do well and which is why you're doing it. And then there's the other side, which is now a case of like someone like yourself, which is so much passion behind the project. You can tell that you've lived, ate and slept this game, you know, for however long that you're kind of, is really kind of like this, this, this needs to be a thing. There's going to be something dreadfully wrong with the universe if this doesn't kind of get out there, which is kind of encouraging to, to kind of hear. Basically, and I hope it comes across when, you know, when people listen. Um, if when people have listened along, and if they do want to keep an eye on you, the game, and everything like that, where do you exist on the internet webs? Um, so you can find us on Facebook. You know, we're developing a website for Meeple City Games because um, I've had to set up a uh, effectively a production company to allow for um, Vector Wars to exist. Um, I, I didn't really want to go to other publishers because they would have just gutted the project out. I did try, actually. I, I did. I went to Sinister Fish. It's an interesting story. I went to Sinister Fish with the game. And they really liked it. They said it's a, it's a good game. It seems really solid. They, uh, they thought it was a good game. But it's not um, in their remit of games that they take. They don't, they don't publish this style of game. So they, they said, thanks, but no thanks. So after that, I was like, and they said to me, one thing really got to me. They said, I hope you haven't spent a lot of money on the artwork because we would completely start over. And I was like, well, if you want to bring a game out the way you want to bring it out, then you cannot just take it to a publisher. Now, I do want to take games in the future to publishers, but but for this particular one, as you said, it's it's something that um, I've done. It, you know, it's been lived, eaten, breathed for, for, for a little while. And uh, yeah, I feel like this this is a reflection of what I believe is a good a good game, and this brings a whole load of life experience together to make to make uh, Vector Wars. So, if you want, if they want to find us, they can find us currently on the Facebook. Um, and I'm really good at getting back to people. So if anyone has any issues or or has problems, then then they'll be able to contact us there. Uh, we have got uh, an email address, um, and when the uh, if there's any issues with the game. Um, or when it, you know some pieces are missing or whatever, I don't know why that would happen. But if it does, there's always like a percentage. Then they'll they'll have an opportunity to contact us at that point as well. But um, for now, it's just the Facebook. Excellent. Well, what I'll do is I'll make sure that um, the Kickstarter will be live when this goes out. So we'll make sure that that goes in the show notes so that we have got notes to show. Um, if you want to keep an eye on what we're up to, go to the internet webs and search for We're Not Wizards and you shall find us in various worn-out places, worn-out faces, bright and early for the daily races like Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and we've got our website and we've got our blog, which is like a blog spot type thing. Um, and, you know, everywhere, basically. Like some kind of familiar face that turns up, but then you realise it's like, oh, it's that familiar face that's turned up, but we're kind of everywhere, you know, like kind of plain yoghurt in Asda, <laughs> which people know exists, but not everybody buys, that kind of thing. <laughs> um, if you like what you've listened to tonight, then tell somebody else. Probably not about the yoghurt, but definitely tell them about the podcast. Um, and if you like us even more, consider giving us a rating, a review, or a subscription on the the Apple podcast. If you are going to be giving us a rating, a review, or subscription, please do not give us ten stars because it uh, doth make my head too big. <laughs> and at the same time, don't give us one star because um, I'm ugly enough, and me crying, I'm like it's like Dawson. Imagine Dawson 
but he's then rubbed his face with a cheese grater. It's that kind of crying. It's not good at all. But give us something in the middle, like a five. Because it's kind of average and, you know, we're just we're just a little bit average. But um, <laughs> Not a bit of mediocrity, do you? I, I definitely believe in mediocrity, which is why I had you on. Um, but the person who's not been, the person who's not been average tonight is a rather wonderful, rather fantastic. I give you Eli, my man. Thank you very much, sir, for coming on. I appreciate your uh, Thank you time. for having me. Thank you for having me. It's been great. Um, there's only two more things to do. The first thing is to remember that we're many things, but we're not wizards. Are we wizards, Eli? No, we're not wizards. Fantastic. And the second thing is to say goodbye. Bye. So it's a goodbye. It's a goodbye from Eli. Say goodbye, Eli. Don't jump in. Oh, sorry. Don't ruin bad. it at I'm the very, so very end. <laughs> Don't rump, jump. Don't. Right. Right, I'm going to say, right, okay, here we go. Say goodbye, Eli. Bye. And it's a goodbye, you, you got there in the end. And it's a goodbye from me, remember, <laughs> stay safe, roll sixes, and, uh, yeah, check out Vector Wars, because um, if it is triple triad, just like Final Fantasy, then I am going to be, like, so, so happy. But if it's not... I'm not going to be happy at all. But the only way to find out is jump on a Kickstarter and see if it is like that. But until the next time, goodbye. A wizard is never linked. Nor is he early. He arrives precisely when he means to. (laughs) 